So believing in Jesus was not merely adding Jesus to their already messed up life. It was actually desiring for the change that Christ could make in our lives. We don't add Jesus to our messed up life. We take our messed up life and say, Jesus, we're a mess. Make us new. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're going to look at dealing with a sinning brother. 1 Corinthians 5 verses 1 through 13. I broke it into four portions. We will see the charge in verses 1 and 2. The judgment in verses 3 through 5, the counsel in verses 6 through 8, and the verdict in verses 9 through 13. Well, the counsel, verses 6 through 8, continue reading. Your glory is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, but not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He said, your glory is not good. Your glory, it means to boast or to glory in something or someone. And the church had gloried in their inclusiveness when they should have been. Paul said you should have been in mourning as if some close loved one has actually died. And the church was glorying in their inclusiveness. As we close out the message, I'm going to read a statement from a church in England who put out a couple of years ago glorying in their inclusiveness. In fact, they even named their church the Inclusive Church. (laughs) We include everyone. Where do we get these things? Going against the very word of God. Jesus warned his disciples in Luke 12, 1, of the leaven of the Pharisees. We find in scripture that leaven is seen as a type of evil throughout the Bible, that it's an evil that slowly affects change in a person. It could be in a church. It could be in a nation. Paul would again write in Galatians 5, 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump and sin can permeate the lives that it touches. But Christ, our Passover, 
verse 7. He says, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover was sacrificed for us. The man having sexual relations with his stepmother, it was from the old leaven of the world. And yet God had called them to be new creations in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24, he says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man that grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We are, as believers in Jesus Christ, to put off the world that we perhaps came out of prior to Christ, and we are to put on Christ Jesus. We are to put on true righteousness. We are to put on holiness. God had commanded the Jews to eat the Passover meal with unleavened bread, and the, the sweeping of the houses around Passover time, it was probably a, a lot of work for the wives and the children. As they went through the houses to clean the house, I say that because at the end of it all, and even to this day, the Orthodox Jew will find that the man will come in at the end of the house cleaning. And today, they actually have services that come in, like around here, if you've got somebody that comes in to clean your home. At Passover time, they have people to come in to make sure that there's no leaven in the household, that all the little packages and even the grains that maybe fall that is swept clean. And at the end, the father comes with the feather and he wipes the counter and he, he announces that the house is clean from leaven. That's his only duty, I think. I get the feather. You guys make sure the house is clean. <laughs> but this symbolized the purging of the household of sin. Most importantly, this symbolized the unleavened bread at Passover. It pointed to the sinless sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why I struggle with uh, communion bread that is leavened. I just have a difficult time with that. And we serve for communion unleavened bread here. And I know a church group I actually asked from the Greek Orthodox Church, a brother that used to come to church here, and they said, we actually cut leaven into the making of the bread. And it's like, why would you do that? The unleavened bread pointed to Christ and his sinless life. He goes, but the, the leaven, and so I kind of understand it. They were saying that the leaven connects our sins upon Christ, but it's Christ our, our sacrifice here Truly, you are unleavened, for indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was at all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Christ Jesus, without sin. And so he said in verse 8, Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Not with the old leaven, that of malice. It speaks about an evil habit of the minor depravity. That of wickedness in the New Testament, it's only in a moral sense, speaking about 
this evil disposition that someone might have. Sincerity is how we are to keep this feast. Sincerity, it's a Greek word, it's a compound Greek word that means exposed to the warmth of the sun. And so even though the definitions that I read about this didn't mention this, I understood exactly what they meant by this. Back in the day, they used to make statues, perhaps out of marble. The artist would, you know, take his hammer and chisel, and sometimes he would chip, got a chip where he didn't want it to be. So he would take wax, and he'd fill in the crack. And if you were inside a shop in the cool of the day, the wax would look fine. It would look great. It would look like a perfect piece. And you would leave thinking, what a great deal. I did that when we were in Israel. I was after a certain Jewish item, but I bought it not in the Jewish quarter. I went where the deals were at. And I should have opened the item up because inside the item was supposed to have been a passage of scripture. And when I finally got home and opened it, it was empty. It was missing the passage of scripture that was supposed to be in there, which according to Jewish tradition would have been written by a scribe, by a priest, and put inside these things. But because I went outside of the Jewish quarter, because the deals were much better over in the Arab quarter, I got something that, well, it looks good on the outside, but it didn't have or contain what was supposed to be on the inside. And so to be exposed to the sun, if they had these statues that they had put wax over to hide a crack in the marble, they bring it out in the sun, the sun would expose the truth of that item. Or to have that sense of sincerity, that sense of integrity of character, were to have that truth. And Paul reminds them that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Jewish feast of Passover. He then encourages them to purge out the old leaven of their past lives, to get rid of the leaven of malice and wickedness in order that they could partake the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, that Christ our Passover has provided for us. So believing in Jesus was not merely adding Jesus to their already messed up life. It was actually desiring for the change that Christ could make in our lives. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it tells us, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. We don't add Jesus to our messed up life. We take our messed up life and say, Jesus, we're a mess. Make us new. And it's through a relationship with Jesus Christ that we can walk in sincerity and truth. Third John, verses 3 and 4, a one-chapter book, Third John, verses 3 and 4, For I rejoiced greatly when, when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And may it be our conduct, that we would conduct ourselves with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And finally, the verdict in verses 9 through 13, as we close out the chapter, I wrote to you in my epistle, 
not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or the extortioners or idolaters, since you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is a fornicator or covetous or idolater or reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are on the outside? Do you not judge those on the inside? But those who are on the outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourself that wicked person. So the verdict. Now he mentions in verse 9 of a letter that he had previously written to them and actually said, when I wrote to you before, and here we are in 1 Corinthians, which perhaps could be 2 Corinthians because he already lets us know that there was a 1 Corinthians. I wrote a letter to you before. And if found, I have to believe that this previous letter would make some interesting reading. But rest assured that we are not missing a part of Scripture. I believe that we have everything that God desired for us to have. And just a few years ago in the church, there were those who have come out saying that, you know, there, there are more than four Gospels. What about the Gospel of Timothy? What about that one? And what they don't tell you when they say, what about the Gospel of Timothy? What they don't tell you is that that particular Gospel that does exist was written two to three hundred years after the time of Christ. The New Testament that we have today was all written within the first generation of Jesus's death, burial, and ascension into heaven, his resurrection from the grave. That what we have given to us was given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the apostles and those who penned the word of scripture for us. And so, Rest assured, we have what the Lord has given us, 66 books. There's not 68 or 67 or 69. And just know that the Lord has given us what he intended for us to have. But I have to admit, I would love to read this letter if it found. But Paul makes a clear distinction here between believers and unbelievers. He wrote previously saying, don't keep company with the sexually immoral But then he says, I wasn't talking about those who are unbelievers, but those who are believers, those who are from within the fellowship that remain sexually immoral. In addition to the sexually immoral, he adds to his list. He mentions the covetous, the extortioners, the idolaters. The Greek word for sexually immoral here, literally it means a male prostitute, but it came to be understood as anyone who was indulging in sexual sin, a fornicator. The covetous, uh, referring to a person that is coveting something that somebody else has. It kind of reminds us of the elections that are gearing up in our country because we are learning that the front runner for the Democratic side right now is that of a socialist. And socialism is taking from others to give to others, taking from the the haves to give to the have-nots. And eventually, 
once you get into that place, everyone has nothing except for those who are leading government. They always seem to have. The covetous, the extortioners. It means to seize upon like an animal would seize upon its prey. The idolaters worshiping false gods. And Paul is not saying that we are to condone the sexually immoral, the covetous, the extortioners, the idolaters. We are, however, to conduct ourselves as representatives of Christ. So he's not saying with those who are outside of the church, we are to mingle but not condone their sin. We are to represent Christ before them. We're to show them the right way. But he said in verse 11, not to keep. I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, covetous, idolater, reviler, a drunkard, an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. So now he clarifies. I wasn't talking about those who are outside of the church, but those within the church that continue in these lifestyles. I want you to not keep company, not even to eat with them. To eat with them speaks about having communion or fellowship. And it was a big deal in Bible times when you consumed from the same table. And because they didn't have, often didn't have separate plates, everything was a common bowl. When you dipped your bread, you didn't double dip. They at least uh, had some, you know, like the chips and salsa that we get sometimes. We have to correct our children. But if you're on your own, double dipping is allowed. But... You're all eating from a common bowl, dipping in the same soup, and what is going in you is going into your brother or sister. It's communion. And he said, don't even eat with such a person. He even added to the list here a reviler, to be abusive, a drunkard, someone who habitually drinks, a heavy drinker. That we are to have clear distinction from those who are outside of the body of Christ. And if a believer conducts himself as an unbeliever, then we are to withdraw, not condone their behavior. Second Thessalonians 3, verse 6, and also verses 14 and 15. But I command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person. Do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So at times in family, we have to discipline our children, our siblings. Sometimes children have to discipline their parents when they're older to bring correction about their perhaps their relationship and hope to bring repentance and restored relationships. But remember that the ultimate goal is always to bring about restoration. He said, though, his verdict put away verses 12 through 13. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges, therefore, Put away from yourself the evil person. We're not to judge those outside of the body of Christ. This is the work of God. But those within the body of Christ, in this case, Paul says, I have judged, put them out. So I've already mentioned the woman not being mentioned. 
kind of tells us that she most likely wasn't part of the body of Christ. She was not a believer. And the church would have no authority over her. But this man within the fellowship, he said, put him out. But when we get to 2 Corinthians, and it's going to be a while before we get to this passage, it appears that it worked. Because later on in his second letter, Paul would write, 2 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 8, this punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that, on the contrary, you ought to rather forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps he be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. It appears that in the second letter, Paul says, it worked, your brother has repented, so bring him back into the fellowship now. Don't leave him outside. Otherwise, he might be swallowed up with sorrow. It may be that we would conduct ourselves as representatives of Jesus Christ. We know that today we live in a church age that would rather condone the sins which God has already condemned. And this comes, and out of, I don't know why I did it, and I don't know the correct last name anymore. I just left a blank in my notes. But Reverend Bob from England, the national coordinator of the Inclusive Church, just their name. We're the Inclusive Church. Led a program of events, including a communion service with special prayers and hymns to mark the occasion, a workshop called What Does It Really Mean to Be Inclusive? and the Open Table Monthly Service for Liverpool's lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender community, their family, and friends. Inclusive Church raises awareness about the ways that people feel excluded by the church, especially because of their gender, race, sexual orientation, disability, or mental well-being. Inclusion is one of the core values of the church we attend, which means a great deal to us as individuals and as couples having experienced exclusion from faith communities because of our sexual orientation. And if the church condones what God's word has already condemned, how will a sinner know that he or she is in need of repentance? Therefore, dealing with a sinning brother is important, or a brother or sister. If we condone what the word of God has already condemned, then that brother and sister may never know that they are living uh, in sin against the will of God. So we need to stand strong in these areas. It's only going to get harder in the day and age that we live in. And the verdict, may we conduct ourselves as representatives of Jesus Christ. I represent Christ and everybody who follows me in my pickup truck, they know that. They at times may not like it when there is a, a traffic jam and cars are trying to merge and my truck pulls into two lanes to stop the knuckleheads who keep trying to get to the front. And I remind them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, though, while they're sitting behind me steaming because I'm not letting any, another vehicle by me. I can be stubborn that way. We represent Christ. And in representing Christ in our world, we're going to come across some very hard issues. But remember, we need to stand upon 
the word of God and what has been written. God has given us instruction. And I've discovered that if I just stand upon the word of God, that the world may not like it, but I'll be okay with Jesus. And that's what I desire to be. Father, I pray that you would be with us, Lord. Help us to be able to stand upon your truths. In the day and age that we live in, Lord, there are many churches who are wanting to be inclusive churches, and they even name themselves by that name. And they take a moral high road as if, Lord, they are including those which the church rejects. And, Lord, we understand as believers in Jesus Christ that we receive those who come from the world, as Paul said in this text, that those who are from the outside, those who are unbelievers, Lord, we love on them. How else will they know the love of Christ if we don't love on them and show them the right way? But Lord, I also believe that we have to stand in your truth, that we stand upon the firm foundation of your word, and we speak truth in love, that Lord, just as we have, others might be able to walk away from their old lives, their fallen creature, and come to a new life, a new creation in Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today.